Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. We are one week away from the 2018 NBA draft and probably slightly less than that by the time all of you are listening to this. So I'm here today with our resident draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you today? I'm great. We got just a few more days left until the draft and then we got free agency. It's a great time of the year. And let's get started right at the top with the number one overall pick belonging to the Phoenix Suns. Basically, every possible kind of report out there has indicated that the Suns are all but guaranteed to be drafting DeAndre Ayton with the number one overall pick. So first of all, do you think that's the right choice for the Suns? Yes and no. I mean, the all year Doncic has been my number one player, and he's going to remain that through the draft. With that being said, Aiton is still an awesome prospect. He's a physical freak. He's very versatile on offense. Um, I mean, he he fits their roster really well too. And I mean, he's from Arizona, so those Phoenix fans are uh, pretty well acquainted to him. Already, with that said, I just I, I still have concerns about his defense. I know Doncic isn't the best defender in the world either, but when you look at the teams that made deep final runs, you know how how big of a role were centers playing in those games. So if you get a versatile ball handler that's you know six eight can score from anywhere on the floor, has great passing vision, I feel like that's something you just can't pass up. It's interesting because it very much feels like this draft drops off pretty significantly after the top two of Aiden and Doncic. On the one hand, Aiden does fit in very well with the Suns roster, and he is a local kid having come from the University of Arizona. On the other hand, the Suns' new head coach, Igor Kokoshkov, was Doncic's coach in the Eurobasket for the Slovenian national team. So it's not as if Doncic doesn't have a connection to the Suns as well. He also, I think, fits pretty well with this Suns roster. So it is at least interesting to me that the Suns have pretty openly declared at this point that they're going to be taking Aiton with that number one overall pick. And I guess the question following up on that is, do you think the Suns try and move their number 16 overall pick to maybe try and get a veteran in around Aiton? Or do you think they just hold on to that pick and see if they can get another rookie in this class to compliment him? I bet they end up just holding on to it um, and just basically trying to do the full rebuild. I mean, Booker's clearly their centerpiece. He's their best player, but they're really young. Um, and their veterans are Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley. And... You know, I guess I guess Brandon Knight by definition, but I mean, he's barely played in the last three years. So I feel like if you at sixteen, if you can find a good primary ball handler to pair with Booker in that backcourt, um, and then I, I feel like that puts everyone on on the same timeline with uh, with with Aiden Jackson and Booker. Next up, the Sacramento Kings with the number two overall pick. As a Kings fan, I would actually be devastated if they did not pick Doncic. It's such an obvious choice, both for the fit with the roster and for the fact that he is, in my mind, the best prospect in this draft. And certainly it seems like you agree with that. Either way, if Aiton is off the board with the number one overall pick, I think it would be a massive mistake for the Kings to take anyone other than Luka Doncic at number two overall. Yeah, I think it'd be a really interesting fit there, pairing him with... uh with some of the bigs that they have and the shooting of Buddy Heald and Bogdanovich. Um, and they they showed some flashes, but what would they end up doing with, with uh, Darren Fox then? Would they keep him and play both of them at the same time? Or would they look to move Fox? And there are a lot of reports. I know you're going to hate hearing this, um, but there are a lot of reports that they really like uh, Marvin Bagley and Michael Porter. I, I don't think either of those fit great with them and I don't like taking either of those guys at two especially so maybe they might trade down um, to pick up one of those guys but I, I still think that they, they should they should go Luka. I'm really hoping that all of the conversation around Luka not going to the Kings at 
Number two overall is just a smokescreen to try and cover up for the fact that it seems like a pretty obvious choice right. to me. I think if you play Luca as a three on the defensive end and a primary ball handler on the offensive end, I think he would fit in really well. De'Aaron Fox is at his most effective with the ball in his hands, but I feel like he can also develop into a really solid off-ball cutter, especially with Luca running the show. If the Kings decide to take Marvin Bagley, I'll be upset, but I'll at least understand it. I'm a bit worried that he has some, or more than a little, Thomas Robinson in him. If the Kings take Michael Porter with the number two overall pick, I think I might have to find a new team to be a fan of because I'm not sure my (laughs) health can take it if the Kings screw up that badly. Yeah, that that's fair. I I, I have worries about Bagley. He reminds me a lot of Michael Beasley, but I guess he has a lot. He has uh, he, he clearly has a much better work rate. And then Porter's big question is the health. He just called off um, his second pro day due to hip strains. So I know if you're pairing that with the backs, apparently all the medicals are coming through fine, and it's just something they don't want to push, but it's still a concern. And after those top two guys, and and I, I guess out there, Jackson in there with those top two, it's just a lot of guys who are really high ceiling, but really, really low floor. And speaking of Jaron Jackson, let's move on to the Atlanta Hawks at number three. And unless the Kings don't pick Luka at number two and also don't trade the number two pick to a team that would obviously take Luka at number two. It seems to me like Jackson is pretty clearly the third best prospect in this draft. What do you think about his potential fit with Atlanta? Yeah, so at at this point, if Luka is available, every team should obviously take him. Jackson's, the, the Hawks pick here is really interesting because they just need a complete roster overhaul. So it'll be interesting to see if they go with a young, and Jackson's one of the youngest players in this draft. And he, I, think he, I also think he's the third best player with his versatility. But are they going to go with a young building block like him who isn't going to be the flashiest and attract the most fans or go with a bigger name? like Bagley or Porter or even Bamba, who's going to put up those numbers right from the start. It will be interesting to see who they do end up going with at number three. I think, as we discussed on the previous draft podcast, that Jackson has the second highest floor of any prospect in this draft right behind Luca. So if the Hawks don't manage to luck into some other team's read the Kings mistake and get Luca with the second overall pick. I think Jackson is a solid building block just in the sense that it's hard for me to see him flaming out at the next level. Let's now move on to the number four overall pick belonging to the Memphis Grizzlies. There's been a lot of talk recently about the Grizzlies maybe looking to trade that number four pick, potentially pairing it with Chandler Parsons to get off of his salary or maybe just looking to move down in the draft in return for more picks. Assuming the Grizzlies do end up holding on to that number four overall pick, what are your thoughts on where they should go with that selection? When the Grizzlies are healthy, they're a playoff team. When you have a fully engaged and healthy Conley and Gasol, and we've seen it for the last however many years, they're a threat in the West. So they've just kind of always struggled to get that reliable wing help. So I think going with a wing, I think, I think Mikhail Brid- or Michael Bridges is um, talented enough to go that high, but due to his age, I, I'm guessing he's going to fall later around, probably around 10 ish. But I, I wouldn't be shocked by Bagley or Porter. I, I am Porter's a high scoring or a volume scoring wing. And that's something the Grizzlies really have never had. And what, would be a really interesting fit. With that said, I think Bagley slots in really well next to Gasol. Gasol can stretch the floor a little bit, which Bagley can't really do. Gasol can uh, protect the rim. Another thing Bagley can't do, but Bagley can handle the ball. He is much higher energy. So I think they'd end up complementing each other really well. I agree that Bagley would be a great fit with this team. This is also the first 
pick where I could see a case at least for Michael Porter. We've talked on the previous podcast about how I'm very out on Porter as a pro prospect, but I could understand the Grizzlies taking a chance on him and hoping for that high upside and hoping that his very checkered injury history doesn't continue on to the professional level. Now, next up, we have the Dallas Mavericks with the number five overall pick. And I think that Bo Bamba is a very clear choice for the Mavericks if he's still on the board at this point. I'd be absolutely shocked if he was here and they didn't take him. Carlisle's always really liked those uh, those big rim protectors like he had in Tyson Chandler and tried to get in Nerlens Noel, but that just failed miserably. Um, and Bombo is one of, if not the best shot blockers in the country this year. He has a he's seven one with a seven foot ten inch wingspan, which is just absurd. Um, he, we've seen all these videos this this off season of him, you know, shooting threes at a higher clip. But and th- those are just workout videos. We've seen that from guys before, and it never really translates. But his form does look a lot better. My biggest concern with him, though, is his mentality and his mindset and how bad he wants it. Everything you hear from him is really impressive, but just watching him, how he played this last year, he was really passive um, and didn't really have that killer instinct that you like to see from, you know, your devastating rim protectors. I think it's possible that he sort of played his freshman year at Texas similarly in some ways, obviously not in a wide variety of ways, but similar in some ways to Ben Simmons, who looked like he would be a minus defender coming into the draft just because he didn't really try all that hard at LSU. And then when he actually became a pro, all of a sudden he's one of the best defenders at his position in the league. So I think it's very possible that we could see something similar with Mo Bamba I also am really hoping that he falls to the Mavericks because I would be so excited to watch Dennis Smith, Mobamba pick and rolls for the next 10 years. That would be a lot of fun. I think it's also possible that the Mavs take a chance on Michael Porter. This is another spot where I think it would at least make sense to look at Porter. But I still think that Mobamba is the very clear choice here if he's still on the board. Moving on to the Orlando Magic. I think Bamba would be a pretty solid fit here as well if he falls, but the Magic do have a glut of big men, which makes me think that they're probably going to look at Michael Porter if he's still on the board. What are your thoughts on the Magic's upcoming pick at number six overall? So I, I see them going Trey Young or Colin Sexton here. Um, they they desperately need a point guard. I agree that I don't see him going big man, mainly because I think. Bamba and Bagley are gone at this point, but and they they just have so many guys at that spot that it'd just be tough to get actual playing time for those guys, and they don't have a point guard. Um, and they tweeted out something a couple weeks ago about their leading assist man who had like 3.8 assists per game. Um, so I think Trey Young would make a lot of sense here to stretch the floor for them and add a lot of shooting, and he's absolutely awful and will get picked apart on defense. And he's really small, so he's going to have to add a lot of strength and actually buy into whatever defensive sets um, the team puts in place for him. I think that it's very likely that the Magic go with Trey Young here. I'm just kind of hoping that they don't. Because I think that for Trey Young to be really successful in the NBA, he's going to need a solid foundation around him for at least his first couple of years in the league, instead of sort of being the be all end all of the offense like he was in Oklahoma. I mean, we saw that fall apart towards the second half of the season as teams started aggressively targeting him. And if Trey Young ends up in Orlando, I think it's just going to be the same kind of situation, except worse, because he's going up against NBA level defenders at that point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but the Magic don't, aren't going to think of it that way. They're going to think that it's a perfect fit, obviously. And I, I, it, it's tough because I think if if he did have that 
good solid foundation with um, a couple veterans around him and a healthy organization. I, I think that given time, he could turn into a really good player, but go into somewhere like NBA Siberia, like Orlando is turned into, I'm a, I'm a little concerned that he may just end up flam- kind of flaming out. Up next, the Chicago Bulls at seventh overall. You have Michael Porter Jr. as the seventh best player on your board. Porter has basically at this point only released his medicals from his physical with the Chicago Bulls. It seems to me like the Bulls are almost certainly going to take Porter if he's still on the board, which for the teams ahead of them, the first six teams in the draft, I'm really hoping Porter is still on the board at number seven for their sakes. But what are your thoughts on what the Bulls might do with this seventh overall pick? I think they got to go with a, a wing here, I, and I think Porter would be a perfect fit. Um, they they have some some big men who have shown promise in Laurie Markkinen and Bobby Portis. They have some backcourt help help with uh, Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. They just really don't have that wing or that pure scorer, and and we we've both expressed our concerns about. Porter's health and uh, inefficient scoring, but and this guy was a top recruit who beat who beat all of these other guys he's going in the draft against. He won National Player of the Year, McDonald's All American MVP, and he's a good player. And put into that system where he's um, given the confidence and leeway from day one, I I think it could be a really good fit. And I've been ragging on Porter a lot in the past podcast plus with you, but it's not that I think he's not a lottery talent or not even a high-end lottery talent. I'm just worried about teams higher up than this taking him. That being said, I do agree with you that I think he could be a great fit in Chicago. And if he does end up hitting his ceiling, I think the combination of him and Markinen as your two forward slash centers would be a really great offensive tandem going forward. Let's move on to, I think, maybe the most interesting slot in the lottery, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers at number eight overall. And I think not only who they select here, but whether they select here will tell us a lot about what they think their chances are of keeping LeBron in Cleveland this summer. Yeah, this is one of those where really no one has any idea what they're going to do with this pick, and we probably won't know until draft day. I could see them going with just picking Wendell Carter here, who's a versatile big man, really good athlete, um, doesn't do anything great, but does everything really well. Um, and then the seeing the Cavs potentially move Kevin Love for you know a CJ McCollum or you know, uh, another sh- younger shooting guard or point guard. Um, if they don't trade anyone or make any roster changes, I could see them going uh, Michael Bridges. He would be a nice fit with LeBron, another versatile wing um, who could help, you know, help LeBron actually play some defense or and knock down shots from the outside. Next up, the Knicks at number nine overall. and. I would really like for them to take Mikhail slash Michael Bridges, but I don't think Nick's brass is smart enough for that. I think Trey Young is all but a guarantee if he manages to fall this far. If he doesn't, it'll be really interesting to see what the Knicks end up going with here. I, I definitely think that they're going to end up going point guard, whether it's Trey Young or Colin Sexton. I, I think Colin Sexton playing every night in Madison Square Garden would be just a ton of fun to watch, um, especially whenever Porzingis gets healthy. Um, he's super high energy, plays intense defense, um, kind of streaky on offense and can kind of kill ball movement, but he's he, he's a lot of fun and his confidence is second to none. And when he hits the floor, he's just looking to kill you. I think it'll also be interesting to see if, Maybe the Knicks look to take a big, even though they have a decent stable of big men. Given Porzingis' injury concerns so far, it might be telling if the Knicks decide to go with 
a combo power forward slash center like Wendell Carter might say a lot about what they think regarding Porzingis's progress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think whoever gets I think Wendell Carter is going to end up falling to this eight nine ten range, and whoever gets him is it's gonna, they're going to get a really good player, and he could end up being the steal of the draft. Up next at number ten overall, the Philadelphia 76ers. Because he's from Villanova, I think it would be really fun if Mikhail Bridges falls here to them. And I think he would be a pretty solid fit with their roster as someone who can fill a lot of gaps for a Sixers team that's looking for as much shooting and defense as they can come across. That being said, do you think the Sixers do end up going with a Wendell Carter here? He's the player that you have at number 10 on your board. And he's also someone that I think would be a very solid player for a team that at this point doesn't really need star power as much as they need to flesh out their rotation. I think Bridges is the pick here if he's available and he's, he fits in perfectly. Sixers are looking to win now and, and Bridges is number four on my board based on his talent. And, uh, I, I still seen, see him being able to develop. Um, he's, one of, if not the best wing defender in this draft. He's a very good shooter from outside. He can get to the rim and finish. Um, I, I think he provides a lot of what Philly didn't have. And he's 22. He just got done winning two national championships out of three years. He's used to winning. He's going to want to come right in and keep doing that and help Philly get to the, get, get to the finals and his maturity and selflessness um, would be just a great asset for them to pick up. And the other thing with Mikhail Bridges is, even though he is 22, he's improved significantly. A ton. Every single year that he's been in college. And even though he might be a bit on the older side for the mid to late lottery, I think that the skill set that he's already showed is good enough for him to be picked as high I agree with you that I think his talent is going to not take him as far as age concerns might knock him down the draft board. But if Philly can pick him up at number 10 overall, they should be ecstatic about that. Next up, the Charlotte Hornets at number 11. I think that Colin Sexton would be a really interesting pick for them if they end up trading Kemba Walker, which is something that might happen this offseason. If they don't trade Kemba, or honestly, maybe even if they do, I think that if Miles Bridges falls this far, that he would be a really great fit for them as well. I, I see them going either Miles Bridges or Kevin Knox is another name I'd look at. Um, Bridges is a freak athlete. Uh, he's a decent shooter from outside. Not great, not bad. Um, can finish inside really well. Um, kind of a weird stat that uh, cleaning the glass throughout the other day is that he really struggles to get to the free throw line, which is odd and not something you really want from your uber athletic wing that likes to attack the attack the hoop. But with that being said, he kind of gives me a lot of uh, Josh Josh Smith vibes, um, but obviously a better shooter. And then Kevin Knox is just a pure scorer. Uh, he reminds me a lot of kind of a at this point, a poor man's Carmelo. Um, and the biggest concern with him is just his lack of defensive interest. And he can just kind of fade out on plays and just not be involved. Some of that might be to just the system that Kentucky's run. Kentucky runs. We've seen similar things from guys like Devin Booker and Jamal Murray in the past there. So I'm hoping it's just that. Um, but those are kind of the top two guys I would I, I would keep an eye on for the Hornets. Next up, the Los Angeles Clippers at both number 12 and number 13, which I think makes a very interesting potential draft to project. There have been rumors that the Clippers are in talks in terms of trying to package those two picks together to potentially move up in the draft. It'll be interesting to see if they can manage to pull that off. If they don't 
managed to trade either of those picks, the 12 or 13 picks. I think it seems really likely that they're going to take a gamble with at least one of those picks. And with that in mind, I think 13 or 12 would be a really interesting spot for Kevin Knox. Yeah, so just going off of the assumption that they keep both these picks, I I see them taking whichever wing is left between Bridges and Knox, and then uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, Alexander's really impressive. He's a big point guard, can't really shoot that well, but Doc Rivers has experience with the point guard that can't do that. Um, he's really long, plays really good defense, smart player, and he's a rare Kentucky prospect that was only a four-star out of high school, started on the bench and then played his way not only into the starting lineup, but essentially making Kentucky his team. Um, but then going back to the wing, the that's something this Doc Rivers Clippers era has never really had is a reliable wing that can score. And as a kind of, they're kind of in this weird kind of rebuild on the fly um, mindset where they're trying to compete, but rebuild at the same time. I, I, I think putting Knox or Bridges into that role um, just makes a ton of sense. It's interesting for me to try and think about who the Clippers might be looking at in terms of prospects, because the one thing they do have, at least theoretically, is a very solid backcourt rotation. I think with Milos Teodosic, Lou Williams, and Patrick Beverly, you have three guys who can switch between the two positions if necessary because Patrick Beverly can guard pretty much any guard and Teodosic and Lou Williams can't guard anyone at all. Right. But in terms of skill set, I think the three of those players fit really well together. So I'm not sure that the Clippers will be looking to draft a guard. And with that in mind, assuming that they hold on to both of these picks, it would be really interesting to see if they might take a chance on, say, Robert Williams, because... I think it's pretty likely that DeAndre Jordan is on a different team pretty soon. And if DeAndre does end up leaving the Clippers in short order, I think Robert Williams and Montrez Harrell can fill in his role pretty effectively with about 90% of the offensive skill set and maybe about 50% of the defensive skill set. But Robert Williams and Montrez Harrell are at least the type of player that could fit into DeAndre Jordan's role pretty seamlessly. That makes sense. I mean, Williams is, you know, kind of the prototype of what DeAndre Jordan is, but not as good of a defender. He, if if you pump fake from anywhere, he's going to jump at it and either just completely fly by you or follow you. Um, he's my, my biggest concern with that is just the lack of height and length that they're. Uh, their front court would have then they're they're two athletic guys who are strong and can jump well um but i mean williams is a great rebounder and is very undisciplined so i'm not sure he's really someone you want to be starting from day one even though i i agree with you that i think the clippers are gonna try and move off of jordan here kind of pretty quickly before the season's over and rounding out the lottery, we have the Denver Nuggets at 14. They desperately, desperately need a wing player. And Wilson Chandler was probably among the bottom five starting small forwards in the league last year. And he turned 30 last season and... He does have a player option for next season, but even if he does opt into that, which presumably he will because there's no way anyone's giving him $13 million on the open market, the Nuggets still need a long-term solution at small forward. So I think if Kevin Knox is still on the board here, he's a pretty obvious pick for them, especially with him potentially being poor man's Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony worked out pretty well for the Denver Nuggets the first time around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if if either of those wings and bridges or knocks are here, um, it, it makes perfect sense. They've the that small forward spot is really kind of the last 
thing they need to uh, piece together besides playing any sort of defense, which is kind of makes me think that, you know, maybe they go with a guy um, like Kyrie Thomas or Zaire Smith, who aren't, you know, technically small forwards, but they're strong enough and good enough defenders and good enough athletes where they could guard multiple positions out there. Or if they just try and find that pure uh, wing and keep finding guys who fit well into their offense and just kind of worry about defense later. All right. Now that we are out of the lottery, we're going to speed through the rest of the first round. So number 15, the Washington Wizards. You have Shea Gilgis-Alexander as your number 15 player on your board. We haven't mentioned Lonnie Walker yet. I think the Wizards would take him if he's on the board. Your thoughts at number 15? Yeah, I think they go... I, I don't think they would go Shea here. I think they would go more shooting guard depth with Alani Walker, um, Kyrie Thomas. I could also see them going with a younger, more athletic, rim-running big man um, like like Robert Williams. Gortat's made it very clear that he wants out, and none of those guys get along. So I could see them going with an athletic center there if he's still available, otherwise um, bolstering that, that backcourt depth. Up next, the Phoenix Suns at 16th overall. You have Robert Williams as the 16th best player on your board. It seems pretty unlikely to me that they would go with Williams, given that they're taking DeAndre Ayton number one. What are your thoughts on who the Suns should look to pick here, assuming they hold on to the pick? So assuming they go with Aiden one, they they desperately need some uh, backcourt defensive help. I, I think Zaire Smith is a really interesting option. He's a freak athlete, really good rebounder, really good defender. Otherwise, Troy Brown has been really impressive as a two-way player. He's a really good athlete. Uh, he's shown some consistency and improvement shooting from outside, and I think he'd be able to help make an impact right away. With that said, if they do, for some reason, completely change their mind in the next couple of days and go Doncic, number one, I think Williams makes a ton of sense. I think he'd be a lot of fun running pick and rolls with Doncic. Um, but with all signs pointing towards Aiden, they, they got to go to that backcourt depth. I think Gilgis Alexander or Kyrie Thomas would be great fits for the Suns if either of the two of them is still on the board. Up next, number 17, the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Robert Williams is an obvious choice here if he's still on the board. If available, he makes a ton of sense. Otherwise, they they need to boost their shooting. Uh, Kyrie Thomas, if available, is that two-way guy that can play some defense and hit from outside. Um same with Troy Brown. Melvin Frazier would be another interesting pick here. He's not really that well-known um, be, just because he played at Tulane and no one really saw him, but he's made massive improvements, had a good combine uh, with the scrimmages. So I, I think bolstering that, that two-way wing depth for the Bucks would make a lot of sense if um, Williams isn't available. Up next, the San Antonio Spurs at number 18, the earliest they've picked in the first round in quite a while. Someone I think would be interesting for them, Elio Kobo, who's been climbing up draft boards recently and could be the heir apparent to Tony Parker, both in terms of skill set and in terms of being French point guards. <laughs> but the Spurs might also, I think, go for someone like Troy Brown here, just to try and goose and offense that struggled at times to get creation last season. I think Troy Brown, I, I really, I, I think either of those guys makes a ton of sense and is kind of the way I'm leaning their backcourt with Danny Green and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili is getting old. Those guys aren't going to be around forever really, or even much longer. Um, I, I think a Kobo's offensive, offensive ability paired with um, DeJounte Murray's defense and the backcourt is a really interesting concept because Okobo can play off the ball a lot too. He's pretty good at shooting off the catch. Um, with that said, they might not want to invest in another kind of smaller point, essentially point guard. And if they go Troy Brown, that makes a lot of sense to take over for Danny Green. They're kind of similar players. Brown is a 
better athlete. Um, and but he, he definitely reminds me a lot of Danny Green. Up next, the Atlanta Hawks at 19. You have Zaire Smith as the 19th best player on your board. And I think the John Collins, Zaire Smith interteam dunk contest might be some of the most fun Hawks fans will see all year. It would easily be the best and only logical reason to take Zaire Smith. Um, it, it would be a lot of fun. I worry that just due to their roster overhaul, I Smith is one of those guys where I feel like he, I, I think he needs a stable uh, organization to go to to help develop his offensive game, which is very limited at best. I, I think they kind of got to just go best player available here, whether it's wing or uh, point guard, depending on who, the, who they've taken with their earlier pick. Number 20, the Minnesota Timberwolves. You have Dante DiVincenzo as your 20th best player. Melvin Frazier, who you mentioned earlier, I think would be someone that Tom Thibodeau would like really quickly and might be one of the few players ever that gets minutes as a rookie in a Thibodeau system. So I think the top three kind of targets at this point, um, I'm assuming Troy Brown will be gone at this point. I think Melvin Frazier, DiVincenzo, and Kevin Herter from uh, Maryland are all really good options. Um, DiVincenzo and Herter are really good shooters. Herter's a lights-out shooter. Not a great defender, but he works really hard on defense and doesn't really care about getting posterized or embarrassed. So if you know something like that happens to him, he's coming right back at you on the next possession. And to be fair, I mean, Thibodeau is known as this defensive guru, but the Timberwolves didn't play a whole lot of defense last year, so I'm not sure it's actually a huge concern of theirs. Number 21, the Utah Jazz. They have solid players at pretty much every position, so I think with them, it's just going to be best player available. You have Elliot Kobo as your 21st-ranked player on your board. I think if anyone higher than that on the big board falls to 21, that the Jazz scoop them up regardless of position. Yeah, agreed. I mean, they're, they're just really well-rounded. They have their system. They, they all do their jobs really well. I could see them kind of going point guard, so maybe Dante DiVincenzo or, or a Kobo here because it doesn't seem like they're entirely sold on Ricky Rubio. Um, so maybe just trying to really nail down that point guard spot for the next few years uh, with a young guy might be the uh, path they look to take here. Next up, the Chicago Bulls picking again at 22 overall. I think that the player that you have, 22nd, uh, Kevin Herter, would be a really solid fit for the Bulls. Your thoughts on Chicago at 22? So we kind of had them taking that score first wing earlier on, whether it's Kevin Knox or Michael Porter. Um, so And their big men were really impressive this year, so bolstering that questionable backcourt with Levine, uh, Denzel Valentine, and uh, done makes a lot of sense, whether it's Herter or Okogi, who plays with a ton of energy and is a really good defender um, and runs in transition really well, uh, could be interesting. But I, I, I probably see them going shooting guard or um, and it'll really just kind of depend on whether they're looking for more of a shooter and scorer or just kind of like a, a more defensive energy based guy. Next up, probably the most surprising team in the NBA last season, the Indiana Pacers picking at 23rd when almost everybody expected them to be near the top of the lottery. You have Josh Okoge as your 23rd best player on your board. I think he would be a decent fit there, but I think that the guy that you have 24 overall, Jacob Evans, would be a really solid fit for Indiana. And I'm probably going to throw out Jacob Evans for pretty much every remaining team in the first round since all but one of, well, actually all but two of these are playoff teams. And I think Jacob Evans would fit in really well on any potential playoff roster. As you were saying in Kobe's name, I was just getting ready to jump in with Jacob Evans. Um, he, he makes a ton of sense if there aren't any of those higher rated point guards available. Um, they do need a point guard to go alongside Oladipo, but and they also need a small forward and Evans is really well-rounded both sides of the ball. He's not a great athlete, which limits him some, but he's a really, really smart player. He's a 
pretty good shooter. He's a really good defender. Um, and he's just not going to make, you know, any mistakes for your team. Next up, the Portland Trailblazers at number 24 overall. And I think that Jacob Evans would be a stellar pick here because he, I think, could fit in right away as a fifth starter slash glue guy for Portland. And small forward was by far their weakest position last year. Yeah, when your competition for the starting spot is Evan Turner, you know, I, I think you need to to fix that. And Evans or Chandler Hodgson um, from Boise State would probably be my top two kind of fits here. Uh, they're really good talents. They're older, mature players who've developed a lot over their careers and have that two-way aspect that the uh, Trailblazers have really struggled to find. Next up, the Los Angeles Lakers with the 25th pick. They did very, very well at the back end of the first round last year, taking Kyle Kuzma 27th, taking Josh Hart 30th. So it'll be interesting to see who they take here at 25. You have DeAnthony Melton as the 25th best player on your board. Sort of hometown hero since he did spend a year at USC, but he also didn't play this past season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him going forward. Yeah, it's a real shame that we didn't get to see him play this year because he's an incredible defender. Um, but I, I could see them kind of reaching on a guy that, you know, really isn't that well known in Mitchell Robinson. He had a really weird recruiting uh, story where he was, you know, a top, he was a McDonald's All-American and then committed to Western Kentucky and then just completely decommitted and didn't play any college basketball this year. With that said, he's a freak athlete, really good rim protector. Um, I have just concerns about his maturity and decision-making, um, but I, I, I could see them kind of reaching a little bit here for Robinson if they do end up kind of keeping that pick based on what they their plans are in free agency. Next up, the Philadelphia 76ers at number 26. You have Chandler Hutchison as the 26th best prospect on your board, and I think he would also be a solid fit for the Sixers team. He makes sense. Another two-way versatile guy provides some shooting, uh, some maturity, um, some win-now aspects. I think a guy from overseas, uh, Zen and Musa, he's a really, really good shooter and offensive scorer. He can't really play defense. Well, I he might be able to, but he's never shown any interest or ability to play defense. Um, but I, I think Musa would be able to pr- provide them with a lot of shooting boost off the uh, off the bench, which they're in need of. Next up at number 27, the Boston Celtics. And no one on earth needs more reason to hate the Boston Celtics, but you have Grayson <laughs> Allen going 27th overall, and that would be even more fuel for the fire <laughs> that isn't really necessary. <laughs> They, they, a lot of, there's been a ton of talk about the Celtics trading up. Um, apparently they love Bamba. So, and if he starts falling a couple spots, don't be surprised if they trade up for him. Um, but I know if they're infatuated with going with the center, Mitchell Robinson's another interesting, uh, landing spot. Um, but based on what they've done with these versatile guys, I could see them going with Hutchison. Um, or even DeAnthony Melton, who's a really good defensive long guard um, because there's really no certainty on what Kyrie's going to do as a free agent. I, and I, I'm assuming he's going to sign, but you know he's being his weird Kyrie self about it. Um, so and there are a ton of ways they could go, but I, at the end of the day, I see him kind of going with that, that versatile guard. Up next, the Golden State Warriors at 28 overall. I think if Mitchell Robinson is still on the board, he would be a really, really solid selection for a Warriors team whose basically only weakness this past season was depth up front. Yeah, but then they would have their 12th center on the roster. Um, and he would be a, he, he, I think he would fit well. He's that strong, really high energy rim running big that they've just really struggled to find. I do think that they need some backcourt and wing depth though, some young energy in those positions because they're kind of old and I, I don't expect Nick Young to be back. 
So going with a guy like Akogi, if he falls here, um, I think DiVincenzo would be an awesome fit here if for some reason he fell. Um, or even Jerome Robinson, who's a really high-energy, good scoring guard. Up next, the Brooklyn Nets at 29th overall. You have Zana Musa as your 29th best player. I think he would be a pretty solid fit there. But if Chandler Hutchison is still on the board at 29, I don't see the Nets picking anyone else. Hutchison makes a lot of sense. Kata Bates Diop kind of fits that mold of guys that they've been going after recently, where kind of just positionless, long guys who can cover a bunch of positions. They can shoot threes. Um, a really interesting pick, I think, would be Anthony Simons. Uh, only concern there, though, is that he has a lot of D'Angelo Russell in him, and he is going to be a project. So, kind of based on depending on what they want to do there, um, he he could be a an interesting reach at that point. And closing out the first round with their third selection of the first round, the Atlanta Hawks. I think their pick here will depend pretty heavily on who they take with three and 19, assuming they hold on to both of those picks. You have Mitchell Robinson as the 30th best prospect on the board. I think he would be a pretty solid fit in Atlanta, but I feel like they're probably going to be looking as they almost always are for more of the high IQ shooting wing player archetype. I agree. I don't think Mitt Robinson would go here. Um, and a lot of that too is because I, they're likely taking Jackson at three. Um, they, they always lean towards those smart guys who can impact the game on both ends. You know, they don't have to be elite athletes, but they have to know the game and be able to make, and be able to play within themselves. Um, and we've mentioned uh, him already, but Jacob Evans, Chandler Hutchison um, would be really interesting here. Same with Kate Bates Diop or um, even uh, Aaron Holiday, who can get a little out of control at times when he's put under a lot of pressure, but he's a really good point guard who, who sees the floor really well and has a really high basketball IQ. All right, now that we've hit the end of the first round, let's look at some potential second round sleepers. And I wanted to start with the two players that we had on our respective lists that we've already talked about quite a bit, since they're players that will probably go in the first round, but would be excellent pickups for any team early in the second round. And I wanted to start with my first slash second round sleeper since he was slightly higher up on your board. And that is Jacob Evans. I think that any team, but particularly any playoff team could use his versatile all around skill set. And I think that a more talented team would be able to mitigate his athleticism weaknesses and allow his high IQ game to really shine. You don't have to be the best athlete in the world to succeed in the NBA. We've seen that from a ton of guys. And as long as you know the game, you know what you do well, and you play within yourself um, and play within the team concept, you're going to be fine. And that's exactly what Evans does. He's, like you said, he's that two-way player that is really mature, has a high basketball IQ, and will be able to help a team from day one. And a pretty similar sort of player, although different in some crucial ways, the player that you had a first-round grade on that you listed as a potential second-round sleeper, Chandler Hutchison. So I, I, I could see him falling out of the first based on who he played against. I mean, he played at Boise State. Not a whole lot of people saw him. Um, he's a little older, but he's made leaps and jumps every year and turned into a really good player. He has an incredible work ethic and desire to be great. I'm not sure he's ever going to be great, but I could see him being really a really, really good rotation guy. And um, another one of these wings who, you know, we've saw in the playoffs, the guys who are playing late in games and making big impacts are these versatile wings. And that's exactly what I see Hutchison as. Now on to the first of the second round sleepers who you do have graded as being picked in the second round. I wanted to start with Jalen Brunson. I think that if you're picking at the top of the second round, and I touched on this in the last podcast we did, so I don't want to go too far in depth on it, but I think it's very unlikely that Jalen Brunson 
fails in the NBA, I think he will have a pretty solid ceiling of backup point guard, but I think his floor is also pretty much backup point guard. I think it's very likely that he will have a 10-year NBA career as a backup point guard, and when you're selecting someone in the second round, I think being able to hit a really solid single like that, and apologies for the baseball analogy, but (laughs) picking someone who you know will be a solid backup point guard for a long time is, I think, really great value for the second round, and especially later in the second round if he falls due to his age. So first of all, we're a basketball podcast, so please stay on brand here and avoid that baseball nonsense. Um, second of all, <laughs> second of all, I'm Brunson. He he is what he is. I I know that's not high level analysis, but there's what you see is what you're going to get. He's going to be one of these guys that's in the NBA for a long time. He's you know never going to be. He'll rarely be a starter. Um, He's going to be a guy like Jameer Nelson where you're looking at depth charts or the starting lineups or he gets subbed in and you're like, oh, he's still in the league. Um, But he's still, you know, making an impact. He's doing, playing what his, he's playing his role and he's doing what he does well. Um, It's not going to be exciting. It's not going to be flashy, but it'll be efficient and effective. So now on to one of your second round sleepers, Jared Vanderbilt. So he's more of a lottery ticket. Um, he's great length, great defender, plays with some of the highest energy in the country. Issue is he's had a ton of injuries. He's struggled to stay healthy, and he can't shoot really at all. Uh, he, he can attack the basket some, but his offense is very limited, and he could end up being just Michael K. Gilchrist. Um, but I, I think just how hard he plays and his defensive ability already. I they, I don't see any real downside with taking a shot at him, especially in the second round. It's funny because we just talked about Jalen Brunson, who's almost the exact opposite of Jared Vanderbilt as a prospect. But I think that there are really two kinds of value plays that are good to make in the early portion of the second round one of which is someone like Jalen Brunson, someone who you know is going to be solid and might not have that high of a ceiling. And the other one is, as you mentioned, a lottery ticket. Because ultimately, if you're not picking either a really high ceiling prospect or a really high floor prospect at this point in the second round, I think your odds of getting good value for that pick are a lot lower. So let's move on to someone who falls pretty neatly into one of those two categories as well in Javon Carter, who I think is very similar to Jalen Brunson in that he knows who he is as a player. And despite being one of the oldest players in this draft, has a high enough floor that I think it's pretty likely that he sticks around in the NBA for a pretty long time. Common theme among your guys is they're all kind of these mature, older veterans and i i agree and a lot of the reason that these guys are falling to the second round is because people get enamored with these younger guys with and what they they could be you know oh what if he develops into this it's like well odds are he isn't because they rarely do late in the first round so why not just take one of these guys that you know what you're getting and carter's another one of those um he's can shoot from outside sometimes he's he needs to become more more consistent with that, but I mean, he plays his butt off every game. He's a, he's a really good defender, and that'll, that that's one of those things that just carries over to the NBA. Up next, another one of your sleepers who, interestingly, it seems like we've kind of gone on opposite tacks with the sleepers. <laughs> you went with another really high upside, really low floor guy in Trevon Duvall. Duvall is interesting. He's fallen a lot. For me, on you know, on my player rankings since the start of the year, um, and a lot of that is because he can't shoot. It's bad, and he's a bad free throw shooter too, which isn't a good sign. But at the same time, he's a freak athlete, really good ball handler, uh, good passer, pretty good defender, and he was one of the top high school recruits. And you know, really looking back on it, more often than not, those guys end up having NBA careers. So at very worst, I see him being a rotation guy, um, 
with, you know, it might not be the most impressive NBA career, but I, I see him being around for at, for at least a second contract. Up next, another one of my sleepers, I went with Bruce Brown, who in a lot of ways reminds me of Karis LeVert as someone who was projected to be maybe back end of the lottery type of pick before struggling a lot with injuries. The Nets ended up taking Karis LeVert 20th overall, despite the fact that he was projected to go late second round by a lot of draft experts. So far, it's looked like a really solid choice for the Nets. And I think that any team that goes with Bruce Brown, especially in the early to middle of the second round, will be similarly happy with their selection. At the start of the year, I had Brown and I think is is my top 10 or top 15. And I he was a really good player. He's a strong defender, can shoot from outside. He just had a really bad start to the this last year with Miami and started falling down draft boards and then had nagging injuries that he couldn't completely heal from and then just ended up having his season completely ended due to injury. And I think that's a big reason why he fell so far. And I'm I'm hoping and I, I do believe that um, whoever takes him is going to get a guy that has a huge, massive chip on his shoulder and looking to prove everyone wrong and is going to come in from day one working his butt off and uh, looking to make that impact right away. And let's wrap up by looking at two very, very deep sleepers who you have in the bottom five of the second round. First of all, Gary Clark out of Cincinnati, who it seems like could be a very effective bench energy bay. And even if he can't really be much more than that, I think that's a pretty solid choice for that part of the second round. That was my mindset. Um, He's... He's not going to wow you. He's not going to put up big numbers, but he's going to come off the bench, work his butt off, get a get a bunch of rebounds, get some blocks, and, you know, rile the team up when they need it. Um, he's he is, he's another one of these guys where he is what he is. He's not going to develop an outside shot or any of that, but he's going to come in, work his butt off, and be able to make an impact just from his energy rebounding and, and, and defense alone. And last of all, the deepest of deep sleepers who you have <laughs> at 60th overall and I think is far more likely to go undrafted and then spend some more time in Europe, Trigvi Klinison of Valencia slash Iceland. Yeah, so this one was a pretty big reach, but I, I thought it would be fun. Um, last, last summer, he led Iceland to a historic top eight finish. I know it's weird saying historic and top eight in the same sentence, but it's the best finish that Iceland's ever had. He was averaging over 15 points a game, over 10 rebounds a game with, you know, three to five blocks a game. Um, he, he's really a, a good athlete and um, could, could turn into a really good rim protector if given the opportunity. With that said, he's probably most likely a draft and stash candidate, if at all. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't end up getting drafted, but just kind of a, a fun player to keep your eye on. All right. Anything else before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of it. Uh, check out my, my big board just went up, went 60 deep this time. Uh, that should be up on hashtag basketball. Make sure people go take a look at it. You should definitely be sure to check that out by clicking the NBA draft tab on the hashtag basketball homepage. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And of course, you can find his big board up right now on the hashtag basketball website. So be sure to check that out. We will also be doing a site-wide mock draft at some point soon tentatively scheduled but hopefully that does go through because it was a lot of fun when we did it last year and hopefully we'll be able to do it again this year you can find me on the hashtag basketball website as well i have a free agency piece in progress which hopefully should go live shortly after this podcast does you can find me on twitter at n b a j o h n s o n 
If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. Five stars, always appreciated. Fewer than five stars, slightly less appreciated, but still appreciated because it is good to know how you think we're doing. And if you would like to provide feedback beyond a rating or a review, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.